0: book of uh, Genesis, and we've been looking at the life of Abraham, and uh, seeing that there are, in the Christian life, there are, well, there are good days and there are bad days. There are days when we feel uh, like we've been faithful, and some days where we just feel like it's just not working out. And and so today, we're going to look at this idea of, is God trustworthy? Like, how do we trust God when it seems like His promises just aren't aren't there. They're not realized. How, how do we still see the Lord uh, in his beauty in that? And so we're looking at Genesis chapter 15. I'll have it on the screen behind me. Uh, I invite you to look uh, at your copy if you have one, though. Uh, there's nothing like quite like having God's word in front of you. You might have a different translation. That's okay. Uh, we're all going to be landing on the same runway here. So um, let's look at Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Righteousness. He also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these things to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. "'Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, "'but Abram drove them away. "'As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, "'and suddenly a great terror and darkness descended on him. "'Then the Lord said to Abram, "'Know this for certain. "'Your offspring will be resident aliens "'for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them "'and will be enslaved and oppressed. "'However, I will judge the nation they serve, "'and afterward they will go out with many possessions.' But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, it was dark. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I will give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to their great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hethites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, where we have doubts and where we have uncertainties, Lord, would you give us assurance by faith, Lord, to take hold of those things that we can't see. And Father, we pray that through this this account of Abram and uh, his encounter with you, Lord, that we would be encouraged to see that you indeed are trustworthy, that you are worthy of our praise and giving our entire lives to. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Well, promise is an awfully big word. Uh, it's only, you know, seven letters, but it's one of those rare words that, that sort of stirs the emotions. It, it, it lifts hopes. It, it brings trust. Maybe the word promise is a word that even brings up regrets for you. Maybe it brings up anger or resentment over a promise that was given to you that was never fulfilled. They never came through on their word. Well, whatever the case, promise is a very big word. There was a time in our culture when uh, promise meant much more uh, than it does today, Uh, whether it was a large promise such as a wedding vow or, or a business agreement or something as simple as telling a child that you are going to spend time with them. There was a time when people meant what they said, said what they meant, and and they stood by it. But in our culture today, however, we don't really take the word promise very seriously anymore. We seem to value the, the concept of a promise, but in all practicality, a promise is only good when it is convenient for the person who originally gave that promise. Nowadays, a promise means... I plan on being your, your spouse for the rest of, of my and your life unless the marriage gets boring and it's not fun anymore or unless we run into difficult times or unless I've, I've fallen out of love with you. The promise today means I'll help you out with whatever it is that you need as long as it's convenient for me. Nowadays, a promise is a not, it's not a binding commitment. It's, 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 it's lip service to make someone feel like you care about them when in all actuality, that promise becomes a liability when it starts interfering with who we want to be and what we want to do. Now, I'm not going to take a poll, but I would guess that the majority of us in this room have had times when we have experienced a promise toward us that was never fulfilled. And I'll bet we've all made promises that we haven't kept. This is just something that we have come to expect in our world today. Unfortunately, when we have come with these expectations, we extrapolate them onto the Bible when we approach it. And I would venture to say that many of us who are Bible-believing Christians would say that they believe in God's promises, that they are trustworthy and that they're true and they can be banked on, but yet when a difficult situation comes our way, somewhere between what the Bible says and what our heads believe and our hearts are telling us, there's this disconnect We intellectually believe that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all of our days, but when we get that diagnosis, when we get that phone call, when we hear those words, I don't love you anymore, our reactions show that we believe that God's promises are not bound up in every situation that we face. We give mental assent to Jeremiah 29.11. If you remember that verse, I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. But when our teenager becomes pregnant or we lose our job or we lose everything that we have, those situations that Uh, we thought that the the Lord had for us, all of a sudden there's this disconnect. Where is God in these promises? And we're left with broken hearts and confused spirits. It's at that place that Genesis 15 meets us today. Uh, In this uh, account, there are only two people that we encounter, Abram and the Lord God himself, Abram has had quite a journey up to this point. He was a moon worshipper from Babylon, and God called him out of that darkness into His uh, the knowledge of His grace. And though there have been hiccups in, in Abram's journey, and there's still going to be some hiccups that are going to come, uh, Abram has followed God in faith up to this point. Now in Genesis 15, Abram, he's alone in the middle of the night. He is pondering what all of this history with God actually means and how it actually relates to him because he hasn't yet seen this big promise that God has given to him and the clock keeps ticking. The calendar keeps turning over. God's hand has been evident up to this point in his life, yet it doesn't look like God is following through on these big promises. And I think that we can join Abram in uh, understanding when God's promises don't seem to materialize. It's easy to become afraid and wondering what if God does not come through? What then? And here, Abram is wondering, God hasn't come through. Now what? And it's there that we find two things that we need to know about God and apply into our life. And the first is, is that we need to be honest with God about our doubts, our fears, or worries. Verse one, God visits him in a vision and says to him, Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. You now, notice here that it's almost as if God is giving reassurance to Abram through a command. We typically don't think of commands as like an encouragement, but he's saying, Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. Everything's going to be fine. My word is good. Don't worry. And he reassures Abram first with a a promise of current protection. I am your shield. What could be a better protection than the Lord as your shield? Because if you were to go into battle with a shield, you would only have one metal object that's in front of you. But yet, when the Lord is our shield, he encompasses us all around So our sides are covered, our front and our backs are covered, our top is covered. God is our shield. And he gives them a promise of future reward. Your reward will be very great. And Abram's response is a model by which I think that we could learn a lot from. Now look in verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave is would, uh, born in my house will be my heir. And you might look at that and say, how in the world can Abram be a model for us? Because really all it seems to be doing is questioning and complaining. How is that a model? But we need to see here that Abram is displaying a trust by laying everything bare before the Lord. He is letting everything out. He is showing faith not by holding back his thoughts and emotions, but rather by uh, expressing them. He is displaying a faith in God by laying it all on the table. He's completely buried, he's completely exposed. God knows everything, and now God is hearing his heart. It's as if Abram is saying, I trusted you, God. I left my homeland, I left my father's house to somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I've set up altars, I have worshiped you. I, I almost lost my wife, I took my life into your hands. You have brought me this far but I don't have anything to show for it. Yes, I'm wealthy. Yes, I have all of these, these uh, possessions here, but if I don't have a son, none of this matters. None of this matters. If I don't have a son, which uh, then what kind of a nation is going to come from me? If I don't have a son... How can I believe that your promises are true? And I wonder if Abram's sentiments sound familiar to you, even if it's in the quietness of your heart. If I lose my job, I have no idea how the bills are going to get paid. If my spouse walks out the door, then everything that I've worked for in my life is over. If I can't get my child to trust in Christ, then there's obviously something wrong with my faith. You see what's happening here is that we always want to have something tangible to place on God's promises, something that we can see, something that we can feel, something that we can smell, something that we can taste, something that proves to us, gives us evidence that God is indeed coming through, and we're let down when these certain sensory expectations aren't met. It's easy to join Abram in his frustrations and his hurts but it's not easy to do what Abram did For some reason we have these these feelings of failure and and worry and hurts and disappointments and we bottle them up We keep them inside and they grow and they grow and they grow and it builds up pressure. For some reason, we feel like, like we need to put on a show for everyone here. We also need to put on a show for God to make it look like everything is, is just fine with me. We're very good Scandinavians in that way, by the way. We have the stoic mindset where everything has to look good. Yes, I'm hurting. Nothing, uh, it, but it's not going to get to me. Well, I have all these things going on. I don't know how I'm going to get by. But I can't let anybody know that I am completely broken. We want to have this faith that looks good and polished. And we feel this need to look good before God. God, things are, are, are really going great. You're, you're such a good God. I worship you. I, I praise you. I give you thanks. Sure, those things are going on, but I don't want to mention those because you're a good God and I'm supposed to believe that all of your faithful things come true. Friends, there's nothing that we can hide from God. God knows everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. There's nothing that he is... Unaware of, even those deep things in the, you know, the 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 those uh, that pair of socks that you find in the back of the dresser drawer that you didn't always remember was there. We have little drawers like that in our heart. That God knows everything that's in there. There's nothing that surprises Him, and we we ought not put to put on a show for God because He knows when we are being superficial. You might be able to put on a really good show. You may deserve an Emmy Award for the show that you put on. But God, He knows what's going on. He also knows how to relate to us in our weakness and our suffering. And we need to be honest with God about our doubts. Look what it says in 1 Peter 5 7. It says, Cast all of your cares, the ESV says, anxieties on Him. For, that's the ground reason of why we need to come to him, he cares for you. He cares for you. You don't need to hold back. This is one that wants to hear these things because he loves you. Now look at the situation again here. Abram, he's been promised very much and he's been shown very little. He is worried and he's fearful that he had misunderstood God at best or that God might not be good on his word at worst. And still, Abram displays a faith in God by bearing it all out there to him. Now, coming to him and expecting him to do something. And God responds in verses 4 through 5. He reassures Abram of of the promise. He, He, in essence, says, all right, Abram, I want you to go outside the tent, and I want you to look up. Now, for some of you who have lived in the country for most of your life, or for at least a few years, it's one reason that I'm envious of you. I grew up in South Minneapolis, where uh, the night sky were, were street lights. and so if you are someone that's lived in the country, I hope you don't take for granted the beauty of going outside on a crisp, clear night and looking up at the bright sky that God provides for us in the stars. There's nothing like it. And if you were ever in that position where you were out there and the city lights are gone and you can see Orion and you can see the Dippers and you can see all these different constellations out there, try counting them. Remember, Abram, you're not going to get very far. There's so many of them, and they're so spread out that it's going to be like, oh, one, two, three, four. Oh, I think I already counted that one. Go back. You are not going to be able to count the stars. And God reassures Abram that his promise of a great nation will come true from him. Not from his servant, but him. And these stars are supposed to remind Abram that one day this is going to be like his descendants. Later in the passage, God prophesies that all these descendants are going to be in a foreign land. We, we know now that he was talking about uh, the Israelites being in Egypt for just over 400 years and, and coming out and then inheriting the promised land. And the New Testament shows that all of this points to Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of this promise to look at the stars. Because he had victory on the cross, every promise that was made to Abram was completely fulfilled and given in completion to Jesus. We'll get more to that here in a bit. In Jesus' victory... We can go to God in our doubts, but yet in confidence, knowing that God wants to hear those things, those parts of our heart, knowing that all of this has been taken care of in Christ on the cross. So we need to be honest with God about our doubts. But second, we also need to trust God to be good on his word. That's our second point. We need to trust God to be good on his word. Now, God secures Abram's confidence in a rather strange way. <laughs> he does this through something called a, a covenant. And, uh, well, let's look at verses 7 through 10, and we'll see what's going on here. Um, 7 through 10, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I'll possess it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Now, it's getting a little strange here, right? Now, ladies, imagine that when your, uh, your husband proposed to you, he is imagine him saying something like, "Hey, you know what? My promise is a, is good, and I'm going to prove it to you by taking these cows and pigeons and goats and all this and I'm going to slice them in half." It's a little strange, right? Now move down to verse 17. When the sun had set, it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I will give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Canaanites, the Kazanites, the Kadmonites, the Hiphites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. So many uh, times it is, it's easy to look at a passage like this and say, this is just too bizarre, this is so weird, and just totally push it aside. He's killing animals, and, and this thing is walking through it. But let's break this down a little bit more simply. A covenant is a solemn oath by which uh, two or more people or parties come together to form an agreement. It's not a contract. It's deeper than a contract. It's more binding than that. And, and they would have ones that would be called a bilateral covenant, which would mean that the two parties come together and, and one says, let's form this agreement. I will do A, B, and C, and in return you will do X, Y, and Z. If you break any of those, it's not going to be good news. That would have been uh, uh, a bilateral, you think, think two covenant. But here, we have something called a unilateral covenant. And a unilateral covenant is when one person comes and says, the stipulations are all on me. I am bearing the responsibility for all of the stipulations that are going to come. Now, in the ancient Near East, when when a covenant was cut, that was literally how they said it, cutting a covenant, two people would walk through these animal carcasses. Here, only one does. Why is that? Uh, What is basically going on here is that God is saying, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and you have no obligation to keep uh, these things that I'm putting out there. The responsibility is with all on me. So, so uh, God is essentially uh, setting up a unilateral covenant, which he's saying, I'm giving you all this land— I am giving you a, a, a people that's going to come from you. You can't earn it. You can't get it for yourself. You can't buy it. Only I, the Lord your God, am able to give it to you. And now God solidifies this in, in a way that's completely foreign to us, but not to people on Abram's day. Again, it was called cutting a, a covenant. They have all these animals that are sliced in, in half, and they would walk through symbolically saying, if these stipulations are not met, let what happened to these animals happen to me. And so here God is saying to Abram to separate these. And all of a sudden, this, this fire pot and this flaming torch shows up, right? And they walk through these dead animals. These are visual manifestations of the Lord. This is how God is showing up here. And by walking through these cut-up animals, the Lord is saying, let me be slaughtered in two if I do not keep this covenant with you, Abram. Now, the ironic thing here is that you and I are finite. Someone comes with a sharp enough sword, you and I, we can be we can be sliced in half. We're tangible. We're material. We, we can't, those things can happen. But God, the Bible tells us that he is spirit. The Bible tells us that, that he does not have a body. He cannot be separated in, into two. So essence, uh, in essence, God is saying that my word is so strong that if I break it, you'd have to separate me. But you can't do that. My promise is so great that if I broke it, I would cease to exist. And at that, all of the questions and all of the worries and all of the fears that Abram had, they stopped and Abram surrenders. And he trusts God's word. So what in the world do animal carcasses and a flaming pot walking through them, what do they have to do with us? How does this this covenant that God gave to Abram now translate into blessings overflowing for average Joes and Janes like like you and and, and me? You know, you and I, we might not have nations that are going to come from us, but the Bible tells us that God deeply desires a relationship with every single one of us. He recognizes his own value and his own worth and his own trustworthiness. And he desires for you to see that in him. But there's this chasm between us and God. Instead of worshiping him, and loving him as he has created us to do, we, we worship lesser things. We have consciously rejected him. We've we hurt others. We've, we've been hurt by others. We do things that we know we shouldn't. The Bible calls this sin. And it's not just related to the things that we do. It's also the things we think. It's the things we say. And it's our very nature. Our very nature is corrupt, But because of God's great love, He initiates a relationship, a covenant with us, in which He bears all of the responsibility, even uh, the responsibility for the many ways which you and I have rejected Him. He initiated this by coming in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, truly God, and yet truly man in one. And in his earthly life, he was sinless. He was perfect in every way. But the only way for you and for me to get right with God was for God to cut a covenant. With us, And the covenant was cut for us not through the carcasses of dead animals, but the covenant was cut for us on a rickety wooden cross in which Jesus bled and died on our behalf. Whereas you and I, we should have been the ones that were cut up for not holding up our end of the, the, the deal, in his act of self-sacrifice, Jesus was saying, I am taking all the responsibility of, for this covenant. I willingly lay down all of this so that you can be at peace with my Father. Everything that we have thought, said, and done, all of those regrets, all of those mistakes, Jesus took responsibility for. Isn't that something? And he died, was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven where he faithfully upholds this covenant with holes in his hands and holes in his in his feet, reminding him that this covenant is still binding and will be forever. And all of this is given to us freely. But we can only receive it by faith. Look at verse 6. It's perhaps one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. Abram Believed the Lord, and He, meaning the Lord, credited to Him as righteousness. This is the greatest news that you are going to hear today. You're not going to hear this on Care Eleven. This is better than the Vikings rebounding and winning the Super Bowl. This is the best thing that. This is the best news that you could ever encounter. We who were unrighteous and separated from God, our Creator, have been restored through Christ Jesus. His life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It's given to us. That is, we when we boldly go before God, you and I are acquitted. Not because there's anything inherently good about you or about me, but because Christ bore the responsibility on our behalf. He, uh, God then attributes Christ's goodness to us so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our unrighteousness, but rather he sees the righteous works of Christ covering us, and the only way that we can receive that is by God's grace through faith." Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. "For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift. not from works, so that no one can boast. And when that happens. When you put your trust, your security, your very life into the hands of this great Savior, you become an heir of the promise of Abram. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 3. It says, You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. It's not having a genetic link to any people group or ethnicity talking specifically of Israel. That's not what makes you God's people. It is faith in Jesus Christ. By faith, you are Abram's children. God doesn't promise you health. He doesn't promise you wealth. He doesn't promise you prosperity. He doesn't tell you that life is going to be easy he doesn't promise you that things are going to work out well in the way that you want them to, but He does promise to save you. And He does promise to deliver you, which in the end will be better than anything that we can imagine. He promises to sustain you, and it's guaranteed because Christ went to the cross and cut a covenant. For us in his blood that cannot be undone. What better news and what better thing can there be to know that whatever life throws at you will not have victory? What better news is there than that? We have a very real present help in time of need in Christ Jesus, and there's no greater joy than that. The question is, what are you going to do about this? This is laid plainly before us. We have life and death set before us. Are you going to take God at his word and trust that his promise is true that he cut a covenant in order to save you from your sins and to empower you to be his child. He doesn't empower you. He makes you your child and empowers you to live for him. Is your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one that is trustworthy and true, Is your God the one that you can bank all of your hopes, your fears, your worries, your misperceptions, your failures, your sins, your your good times, your joys, your struggles, your regrets? Uh, Do you believe that this God is trustworthy to give all those things to? You can bank your entire eternal destiny in it. God is trustworthy and true, but... Will you trust him today in faith? I pray that you do. Let's go to him together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we desperately need you. Lord, we have gone our own way. Just as Isaiah has, has told us, Lord, all of us are like sheep that have gone astray. We, we've gone our own way, but yet, In Christ Jesus, Lord, you cut a covenant for us in the body and and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that if there are people here that are straying from you or maybe don't know you, Lord, that they would see that indeed uh, Jesus has done a great thing for them. Father, would you give us faith today? Would you give us that gift And as we take this time to celebrate what Jesus has done for us, Lord, would we be grateful and would we go from here to live and serve you all of our days? And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Our Lord God cut a covenant with you and with me. And once a month on the first Sunday of the month, we come together to